Modern applications produce large numbers of events. These events can be users clicking, IoT sensors accumulating data, or log messages. The cost of cloud storage and compute continues to drop, so engineers can afford to build applications around these high volumes of events, and a variety of tools have been developed to process events. Apache Kafka is widely used to store and queue these streams of data. And Apache Spark and Apache Flink are stream processing systems that are used to perform general-purpose computations across this event stream data. And there are many general-purpose distributed stream processing systems. Kafka, Spark, and Flink, and Storm, and Google Dataflow... These are all great general-purpose tools, but there is also room for a more narrow set of distributed systems tools to support high-volume event data. Apache Druid is an open-source database built for high-performance, read-only analytic workloads. Druid has a useful combination of features for these event data workloads, including a column-oriented storage system, automatic search indexing, and a horizontally scalable architecture. Druid's feature set allows for new types of analytics applications to be built on top of it, including search applications, dashboards, and ad hoc analytics. Fanjin Yang is today's guest. He's a core contributor to Druid and the CEO of Imply.io a company that makes a storage, querying, and visualization tool built on top of Druid. He joins the show to talk about the architecture of Druid and his company, Imply. This is an example of an open-source company success story, which is something we didn't get into, but I wanted to mention that, that it is a company built on open-source technology. The other thing I find interesting about Druid is that it is this domain-specific system for dealing with high volumes of streaming data. And that stands in some contrast to these general purpose stream processing systems like Spark or Flink or Storm. And it will be interesting to see what other kinds of domain-specific event data workloads or just data workloads, what kinds of new tools get built in the future to handle these high volumes of data because here you see not exactly a narrow use case because high volume event data that is read only is actually there's a large class of, of data use cases that fit that type of workload but maybe there are some other use cases that are subsets of these streams of data that are growing in magnitude every year i hope you enjoy this episode with fanjin Fanjin Yang, you are one of the contributors to the Druid database, and you're the co-founder and CEO at Imply Data. Welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Hey, Jeff. Great to be on the show, and thanks for having me. Yeah. So last time you were on the show, we talked a little bit about architecting distributed databases, and today I'd like to talk more specifically about Druid. You are one of the core contributors to Druid. What's the aim of the Druid database? 
Right. So Druid draws inspiration from a couple of different systems. So it, it has ideas from like search systems. So systems like Elasticsearch and Solar. It has ideas from like time series databases, things like Prometheus and Influx. And it also has ideas from standard analytical databases, things like Vertica and Teradata. And we've been really calling Druid nowadays like an operational analytics database. So it's a database that's really designed for time-oriented event-driven data and it's designed to do high-performance analytics on that data. So sometimes the analytics are a little bit more search-oriented, sometimes they're more standard group buys, more standard slice and dice, as you would find in the OLAP world. But that's sort of been the main use case of Druid. It's commonly also used to power different types of visual applications as well, so different types of UIs, different types of digital applications. There's a number of different components of Druid that we will touch on. Let's start with a high-level example of a piece of data such as maybe a user clicks within a web page, or perhaps they click on an ad in a web page. This is a common example for Druid since it's a, there's a high velocity of these kinds of events. Event data is something that's commonly associated with Druid. So describe the ingest process for a piece of data like an event of a person clicking Clicking on a web page, coming into Druid, and the different components that it touches as it's being ingested into the system. Yeah, so click streams is very common use case of Druid. You know, pretty honestly, what we've seen in enterprises today is there's a more modern like data analytics stack uh, that's evolving, and Druid is something that's part of that stack, but it's not an end-all, be-all solution for click streams. And what I mean by that is, if you look at a data set like click streams or any sort of user behavioral data set. These data sets tend to be pretty large in volume. They tend to be pretty complex. And, you know, most modern data stacks, you kind of have a dedicated technology to solve different problems in the lifecycle of this data. So, for example, a very common setup I see is there's a message bus or there's a delivery piece, which is responsible for taking the event from the system where it's created on and delivering it somewhere downstream where it can be further processed or even queried. So, you know, this message bus, you know, popular examples are a Apache Kafka. Each of the cloud vendors kind of offers something similar. Uh, you know, uh, Amazon offers something called Kinesis, which is similar to Kafka. But the examples of these systems are, are for event delivery. Usually after the event is collected from where it's created, there's another system which is designed to enrich or transform the event. So this is your more standard canonical ETL process. And this is generally some sort of stream processor. Examples here include things like Apache Flink, uh, Spark Streaming, Kafka Streams. They're all kind of examples of, of uh, systems that are designed to enrich and transform data. And then where Druid kind of lives in, in this modern architecture is after the event is processed or after it's cleaned, then it's sent to Druid. And then Druid both stores the event and also enables users to run you know, pretty complex, sophisticated analytic queries on top of the event. So each of these like three pieces, event delivery, event you know, data transform, and also querying and, and powering UIs, each of them require a dedicated system because in today's with today's data volumes and, and data complexity, you really need kind of a dedicated system to solve different parts of the stack. So for something like a clickstream, this is a, a very common model that I see. The whole clickstream is, you know, it's as an event occurs, it's, it's sent to Kafka, it's processed, and then it's sent to Druid. So it's, it's a continuous stream of events, and everything's being done in real time as well. The model that you described there, where you have a message bus like Kafka or perhaps a data lake, and then you have jobs that load these events, these large streams or large sets or sets of files 
of data into Druid in an ETL process. As you mentioned, some of them are using stream processing systems like Flink or Spark. People also use Flink or Spark for doing the kinds of analytic processing that you can also use Druid for. Just to get at the high level a little bit, how does Druid compare in use case to using something like Spark to read your clickstream data directly from Kafka or directly from your data lake and doing processing in in Flink or, or Spark? Right. So I want to make maybe a small distinction between Spark and Spark Streaming. You know, there's Spark Core, which is really designed for batch processing. And there's like Spark Streaming, which is a separate project uh, that's dedicated for uh, potentially manipulating streams. So to kind of talk about the stream processors as a whole, the way that they work is they, they all kind of work in, in similar ways that they're working on a continuous stream of data and you can manipulate the data and you can basically apply various types of operations on the data. Some of the, these operations can be query related operations. For example, you can set alerts, you can do some basic SQL queries uh, on top of the data. Uh, however, with almost every stream processor out there today, the stream of data is not stored in any optimized like data format so it's there's there's sort of no structure no storage format really for a lot of the streaming data and as such there's no framework in place to really make query performance really optimal so if you're working on a very small window of data you're not working with a lot of data you don't really need you don't need like a specialized format to make queries optimal you kind of just work with a very small window of data so if you're building a basic alerting systems if you're building a basic alerting system you don't need something as heavy as druid uh, however if you want to do more sophisticated analysis on real-time data and especially if you want to now start correlating results with historical data and doing kind of a combined view of what's happening right now and and correlating that with what's happening in the past, then you do need dedicated storage formats, you need more optimized data structures, and then you need a system like Druid. Right, so basically, uh, if you look at a system like Spark, you know, it is really sort of the next generation of MapReduce. So it's it's designed to be a more efficient version of, of MapReduce that that was you know, dominant in the early days of Hadoop. Spark is a general compute engine, which means that it can really do anything. It's not particularly optimized to do a lot of things very well, but you can kind of do anything that you want with Spark. And I think that's what makes it very powerful. Uh, but at the same time, you can think of really a database, a canonical data warehouse from, from Oracle or Teradata is being able to do a lot with data as well. But there's also a lot of workflows that are not optimized for. And I, I view Spark kind of in that, in that same camp that there's a lot of types of data sets. There's a lot of type of queries, a lot of type of use cases that Spark could be applied to, but it's not the optimal solution. And there's going to be pretty significant performance differences, trade-offs with a solution that's a little bit more dedicated to the use case. Right. Well, let's go into the architecture of Druid and maybe we can go back out to the high level a little bit later on after we've examined some of the components of Druid. So when a piece of data hits Druid, there is an indexing process that it goes through. And this reminds me a little bit of Elasticsearch because, you know, in the, when a piece of data goes into Elasticsearch, you're oftentimes indexing it on a number of different dimensions. Can you describe the indexing process? What does that term mean, indexing? So indexing is a term that we really took from the, the search world. And it's a term to describe a process of converting raw data into a more optimized format. And in the search world, what it means is you have some raw data, you store that data into a data structure, which is quite a bit more optimized for search. And in the analytics world, 
We use that term indexing to describe a process that Druid does where it takes raw data and basically converts it into a format that's very optimized for like various types of OLAP and slice and dice analytics. So it's taking raw data, applying very compress- various compressions on it, building various types of data structures that make certain types of queries extremely optimal. And what kinds of queries would those be? So as I understand, when you're doing indexing, you might have a piece of data that has some structure to it, or maybe it is less structured, like it's a JSON document. It has perhaps fields like name and time and uh, maybe some rich uh, data piece that's like a blob of text. And you can index on any, any number of those so that people might want to search across one of those fields and be able to rapidly access records from one of those fields. Can you talk a little bit more about what indexing does and what kinds of use cases it solves for? Yeah. So in the Druid world, what indexing means is basically you might have some sort of unstructured or semi-structured piece of data, for example, a blob of JSON. What happens within Druid is that like blob of JSON is going to be converted into a columnar format. So each of the different fields and the different values of the fields are going to be mapped into basically a flat column format. And then some of that nesting is kind of preserved in, in the, the naming structure, but for the most part, it's it's just a mapping of a complex data structure into a more basic, simple one that exists within Druid. On top of each of the columns, there's going to be a variety of different types of, of more standard database indexes that get built. So some of these might be search indexes for very fast, like search and filter. Some of these might be like range indexes for very fast, like like numerical filters. And really at the end of the day, why we convert data in this like semi-structured format into a more structured column format within Druid is to optimize for different types of OLAP queries. So examples of these queries are like group by, so grouping on time, aggregating by some value, uh, grouping on time, aggregating by a bunch of values, and then also searching and filtering on a particular set of results. So those at the end of the day are the queries that this indexing process is meant to optimize for. As you do that indexing, how much does it inflate the size of a record? Because with the addition of of indexes, you're taking a record and you're adding this additional data around it that allows faster access to that data. But one of the trade-offs is that in building those, those indexes, it also takes some time, which we could talk about. You're adding additional data to your overall system. So what's the order of magnitude of data that you're adding by indexing? Yeah, so by adding additional data structures, you are adding more information. However, there's a lot of work that has gone into a system like Druid uh, to leverage various types of compression where these additional data structures are not increasing the data by a huge amount. Uh, What I mean by that is if you look at actually the mapping of how raw data converts into Druid data, Oftentimes, the Druid data is much smaller than the raw data. And in instances of uh, Druid clusters out there, the data in Druid compared to the raw data could be almost a thousand times less. And this has to do with ways that Druid pre-aggregates data as it's getting ingested. It has to do with some of the, the many levels of compression that are basically leveraged in Druid to reduce kind of the, the raw data volume. And then the additional indexes, the additional data structures to optimize for queries almost become trivial at that point because if your raw data is reduced, you know, by a thousand times and you add some a little bit of additional information to make queries faster, it's really not going to be that impactful at all. 
So with every kind of data set that we try to load into Druid, we're actually trying to make sure right off the bat with some of Druid's uh, pre-aggregation and roll-up capabilities and, and its various compression algorithms that we get a huge savings with in terms of storage. And then we start applying uh, some of the additional indexes and additional data structures. Yeah, the notion of pre-aggregation and roll-up, I think this can take us back a little bit to the the differences in between using a little bit more domain-specific system like Druid versus something more uh, flexible like or non-domain-specific like Spark, because the roll-ups, the notion of roll-ups, like if you know what, what your Druid system is going to be used for, for example, clickstream data, you know that the field that you need rolled up, for example, is the number of clicks uh, on a specific web page or on a specific family of web pages and so that one form of compression you can take is you know if you have collections of records that can be grouped together you know you can group together most of the fields is just the same thing and kind of compress them as the same thing and then you you have an aggregation of just the number of different clicks that have occurred so and then and this this also reflects the fact that it's it's kind of this analytic database rather than one where you're going to want to drill into specific records although it sounds like if you wanted to you could in many cases drill into one of those specific clickstream records you just might have to go through perhaps a process of of decompression yeah so to kind of answer your question there is Druid makes it optional whether or not you want to st- to store all the raw data. You can actually turn off its its uh, pre-aggregation and roll-up and just store the raw records as is. This is p- something that people do choose to do. Uh, however, most of the time, if you're working with things like click streams, you're working with like network flows or various types of operational data, you know, if you have billions of events per hour, you know, you may not necessarily care about what has occurred in like a particular millisecond in time, right? Like most of the time what you care about is an aggregate view of your data, what it looked like in the last five minutes or the last hour or like the last day versus in the last like 10 milliseconds, how many how many records did I get? Because that level of granularity is, is generally like a little bit too much information for most people. So with a lot of use cases, a lot of data sets, that level of pre-aggregation, a level of roll-up, a level of compression, just ends up in, in tremendous, tremendous storage savings, which then translates to really, really measurable performance benefits as well. So it's something that I think makes Druid a little bit unique in, in this wide and wacky data space. I want to talk a little bit more about the storage mechanism. So there's this indexing process. You build these indexes that can compress data and make it easier to search over or do lookups over. And the data gets stored in a column-oriented database. It's structured in a way that aggregations are easier. This column orientation, is this similar to like a parquet kind of schema? What's the schema like for the column-oriented storage? You know, parquet is an example of a column-oriented format. I think there are uh, similarities between what Druid has and and what parquet does. We started creating the column format within Druid before uh, parquet existed. I would say the biggest difference is, you know, Parquet is very much a file optimized, like columnar storage format, and uh, Druid's format is is designed. It's a little bit more optimized uh, to use memory. You know, all the data that Druid stores and loads is re- very much like memory optimized. So, like, definitely, I think Parquet. There's there's a lot of ideas from Parquet. So both Druid's columnar format and Parquet's column format they kind of draw inspirations from that original Google Dremel white paper that was published talking about how they were storing uh, various records and, and why that format was particularly optimized for analytics. 
How does your approach to in-memory storage compare to a disk-like storage format? So Druid creates shards of data that we call segments, and uh, these segments are actually memory mapped. Uh, what, th- what that just means is we leave it to the end user to basically configure how much of their data is stored in memory at any given time. It could be 100% of their data, it could be 5% of their data. It really depends on the configuration and, and how much they, they want to spend on hardware. The way that the kind of memory mapping works is if you're querying some data and that data is stored on disk, basically that data is going to get paged into memory and then the query is going to run over it. So obviously the more data it's stored in memory, the more it can avoid that paging time and the faster uh, queries go. If you compare about like a, a disk-based scan versus you know crunching results in memory, obviously it's, it's pretty well known at this point, like in memory is, is significantly faster. So pieces of data come in, they are indexed and turned into, you have a cluster of indexing nodes, and then they are indexed and turned into these data structures called segments, and the segments are written in collections to these other nodes called historicals. Explain what, what a historical is and the relationship between historicals and these these objects that we're actually reading, the, the records, the segments. Yeah, so a very lo- high-level overview of basically how Druid works. Druid is designed, and its overall architecture is structured in such a way that it's very explicit about its like core processes. And this is a little bit different than a lot of other open source systems out there. Uh, for a lot of open source uh, systems, you know, many processes might be co-located together. They might be like black boxed. And kind of one nice part about the black box model is that it appears simpler uh, the first time you look at it. And, and uh, it's generally a little bit more smoother to get started with. The trade-off is, of course, once you get to in production, we've seen this a million times, and I've, I've experienced this many times in my career, you wish you could find tune each of the the kind of core processes differently and that was an architecture decision made in druid that we would like explicitly name and provide configurations for each of the main processes so there's a process for indexing data there's a process for data coordination there's a process for reading data uh, as well and each of the processes can be fine-tuned depending on your production work case. If you have many, many reads of historical data and not much like real-time ingestion, you can allocate a lot more data for your reading process and a lot less for your like writing process. And that's reflected in kind of the, the funny names that we have in Druid. So the uh, data loading process is called the indexing process. Uh, they're on a, you know, the, the way that they work is you can fine-tune like how much resources that you want to allocate basically for your data ingestion. And your data ingestion process can be co-located with your data reading process. And the data reading process is really a process called a historical process in Druid. So the idea is that you might have real-time data coming in. The indexers or the indexing process is handling both reads and writes for that recent incoming data. And periodically, what the indexing process does is it creates a segment, which is this immutable data file that exists within Druid. It encapsulates all the index data. And that segment is loaded then by the historical historical process. And really what the historical process is designed to do is serve queries on top of segments. That's pretty much all it's designed to do. It's it's very kind of simple in its operation, but it, you can also kind of explicitly tune it because it's an entirely read-focused process. 
and read focused is important here because this is not like a operational database where we're managing user sessions and responding to user things like that. It's it's more like we're just reading the analytic data in order to update our machine learning models or do some kind of data science reporting to people. And so you can you can optimize for reads explicitly, not for writing back to data. So if I understood you correctly, again, going back to the beginning, the pieces of data come in, they are indexed on this cluster of nodes, the indexers, the middle managers. They are turned into segments, and the segments are the data structures. The, these, these segments are written to disk and to on these historical nodes, the, and the historical nodes pull these segments off of disk into memory in a place where they can be queried quickly because they're in memory. Yeah, basically, yeah. So that's sort of the overall process that exists within Druid. You're exactly right. Raw data comes in, it gets indexed, it gets a segment file gets created, the segment file is handed off to the historicals, the historicals download the segment, uh, serve it in memory, and it's a combination of obviously leveraging memory, it's a combination of leveraging various storage techniques that kind of give Druid its, its performance. And the segment itself is an extremely read-optimized like data structure is designed for very high volume concurrent reads. And this is why if you actually start looking out in the wild of like what is Druid doing, most of the time it's actually like powering some sort of interactive UI. So this is something users interact with and and they're, they're clicking through visualizations or like interacting through different types of visualizations with the underlying data. And whenever it's, it's because that Druid is a system designed to be used or power applications for users, that latency becomes very important, multi-tenancy concurrent all these factors become very important. We'll explain more about that. Concurrent reads, what are the optimizations that you need to make or what are the bottlenecks that systems who are not read-optimized, who are not optimized for serving concurrent reading users, perhaps users that are looking at the same dashboard on different computers, what are the kinds of things that you can optimize for to serve that concurrent read use case? Yeah, so Druid's, Druid's segment is basically an immutable data structure. So once it's created, it's immutable. And of course, the trade-off in Druid is if you need to do updates or deletes of the data, you have to rebuild the entire segment. And a segment might contain like 5 million rows of data. So it's a, it's a little bit more of an expensive process to really update a segment. And what that means is, you know, you probably wouldn't ever use Druid for like an OLTP use case. You would not use it to, uh, you know, power your Facebook user profile. You know, if you have a data set where the same fields are updated constantly, Druid is not a great choice. But Druid is very good for analytics and the immutable segment model is one where because you have immutability you basically have reconsistency throughout your entire system when you replicate a segment one segment and its copy are are identical because they're both immutable none of them are receiving updates so you don't have to really worry about like write consistency you're just basically focused on read consistency and with the segment once it's loaded in memory through its parallelization model the way that works is multiple cpus can scan the same segment really at the same time. So if you have a lot of concurrent requests, you have a lot of users trying to access the same data, you can basically have multiple CPU access like the same the same segment at the same time, which really helps for, for concurrency and multi-tenancy. Define those terms, read consistency and write consistency. Yeah. So the idea is if you, in, you know, in distributed systems, one of the challenges where if you're trying to support both high volume reads 
and high volume writes is if you have a piece of data and if that data is constantly getting updated, then every time you query it, you might be getting uh, plenty of different results. And if you also have different replicas of your, of your data spread out across your system, when you read one replica versus another replica, you know, they might not be in the same state because an update has not been applied to both of them yet. So what I mean by reconsistency is, is you know, within Druid, if when you read a piece of data, you query it, you query it again, basically you're going to get the same results. If you query a piece of, uh, you query a segment or you query it's like replica, you're basically also getting the same results. So there's no, no contention there. There's, I think, simplicity in the architecture that you don't have to think about what happens if there's an update that's, that's occurring. Uh, there are certain transactional properties you have to ensure for, for reconsistency. This, this goes more into database theory that you know, maybe we don't need to get into. But the idea is within Druid, you're not really w- worried about a piece of data getting updated and what happens and what kind of locks are, are being provided uh, as that data is getting updated. It's, it's, it's just a system where you have a block of data, read it, you know, have all the different threads scan it, have different, your, your different CPUs scan it, and you're always get the same result Mm -hmm. you need to be able to manage like what segments are in memory versus what which ones are on disk and perhaps page things out over time like maybe you want to keep some window of time in memory like maybe the last hour you're keeping in memory and so you're constantly rolling out data and rolling in new data what's the process for doing that rolling honestly we don't do anything internally within druid linux operating system does it all we do is just ensure that as a piece of data is getting queried it's going to get patient to memory if it's constantly getting queried it's going to retain in memory and if it doesn't get queried for a period of time it kind of just gets paged out and really that's being managed by the operating system we're not doing anything particularly clever there but the way it works in practice is it's not really a time-based retention. It's based on what pieces of data are getting queried the most often, and it just ends up working pretty well in practice. Cool. What about if a new, I guess the new records are coming in as your your data is sitting there and you're reading it and it's just getting appended into your historicals. Is there anything that interesting you have to do to update the user's view? Like how often does the user have to, or how, how often is the user polling the system for new database records? I guess, yeah, tell me more about the process by which, you know, I'm a user, I'm sitting in front of my dashboard, I'm expecting new events to be coming in and I'm expecting my UI to be updated over time. So what's going on under the hood to address those updates? Yeah, so I'll say like for, for Druid, you know, its real-time capabilities are pretty strong from usually from when an event occurs to when it's visible in Druid is a few hundred milliseconds. That's that's sort of the general latency that we've seen. It can be faster or slower depending on your particular setup. But the idea is that on the indexers within Druid, data is always being held in memory. So there's like a kind of gi- giant in-memory buffer on the indexers, and that's where all the events Uh, all the recent new incoming events get appended to. And the in-memory buffer that exists on the indexing nodes, it's basically just a key value store in memory. So key value stores are known for very fast writes. So this in-memory buffer is a write-optimized data structure. It's designed to intake events as fast as possible. You append them in memory. And then what the indexers do is periodically they flush out this in-memory buffer, and then they convert that key value-based uh, storage into a Druid segment format. And Druid, Druid segment, as, as you recall, is that read-optimized data structure. 
So there's this periodic conversion process from a write-optimized data structure to a read-optimized data structure that exists that exists within Druid. So recent incoming data appended as fast as possible. That's how Druid supports very fast writes. Data is uh, flushed out, converted into a segment format, which is how Druid supports very fast reads. And this is uh, occurring constantly on the indexer process. And there's a constant like handoff process between the, the thing that's doing the ingesting and the thing that's handling like more long-term historical data. So that's what's happening behind the scenes. And in terms of the UIs that get built on top of Druid, uh, usually how those UIs work is that they're pulling Druid at some some level of uh, periodicity. So it could be every five seconds, it could be every second. It really depends on application application and how soon do users need results. I've seen systems that basically pull once a second. It's not the greatest thing because if you start pulling once a second, your data is constantly changing. You actually can't like make a meaningful analysis that way. So yeah, that's sort of Druid's how it combines kind of that real-time view with, with its historical view. Let's talk about the query and the life cycle of a query. Let's say I'm a data scientist and I want to do an ad hoc query or I am a operations person and I'm sitting in front of a dashboard that is issuing queries to the Druid system. Walk me through the life cycle of one of those queries. Yeah, so I'll say of use cases of Druid out there, an operator using some sort of UI to troubleshoot or diagnose or understand why something's happening or, or to create dashboards is a little bit more common than, than people writing like raw SQL queries uh, on top of Druid, although Druid does support like a raw SQL uh, interface. And the reason for that is we just see Druid being used a lot more often uh, by operators to diagnose issues and triage use cases versus doing more standard like data warehousing stuff. But the life cycle of a query, how it works is there's, you know, Druid supports two native query languages, a JSON over HTTP language, or a SQL-based language, uh, which is based on Apache Calcite. So for a person that writes a SQL query, that SQL query gets translated into something native within Druid, and that query gets sent to a Druid process called a broker. And a broker is really a Druid process that knows how to do a divide and conquer based on the parameters of the query. So for example, it looks at the query and sees, oh, the query is querying data for like a year, year's worth of data. And then it figures out, okay, this year's worth of data is spread across an X number of historicals and Y number of indexers. And and, uh, what it does is it fans that query out to the pieces that hold, to, to the servers that basically hold the pieces of data relevant to that query. Those pieces are kind of computed in parallel because it, we're, we're, we're working in a distributed system. And then all that data is then returned to the broker. Uh, the broker merges the results and then returns to the caller. So it's really a divide and conquer algorithm for processing queries. And, and that's really how Druid's uh, query handling works. Why is it that people use Druid most, or why is Druid optimized this, or, or how what optimi- optimizations does this use case lead to? That the dashboarding versus the SQL, like you know, I'm a data scientist, I'm just doing ad hoc queries. Why aren't people using it for ad hoc queries, or why isn't it designed for that? Why isn't it a good use case for that? I'll just say, like, if you look at a, a more standard like data warehouse, there's a lot of complex joins it can do. There's a lot of complex. You look at a system like like Spark, right? There's you can do kind of do anything with Spark, and Druid is not 
about a system where you can do anything with it. You know, systems like Elasticsearch or systems like Solar, they're not designed to do everything. They're designed to do a subset of things really, really well. So Spark can do everything, but it's kind of not optimized for anything. And Druid is, is more similar to how Solar and Elasticsearch work in that it's optimized for a set of things and it's not optimized for the entire breadth of, of data warehousing use cases. So you would not use Druid to transform data. Druid is not particularly good at doing like very large scale drawings that might might take like two hours to complete. So it depends on when most people are successful with Druid, they're either, either powering some sort of application or they really care about like the latency of their results. And when people really care about the latency of the results, there's usually some sort of UI that's getting power. There's some sort of application where latency and consistency of that latency is, is very, very important. So like a lot of the architecture decisions within Druid are designed to make certain types of queries commonly issued by UIs very, very fast. And the thing is that there's been these UIs and these analytic dashboards around for a really long time. And maybe, you know, you could back these things, back these dashboards with with a variety of kinds of databases or something like, uh, you know, a HDFS or a Kafka with Spark on top. It's taking a step back and evaluating Druid in a historical context and looking at the different options out there of the databases and storage systems that could be backing a analytic dashboard. How does Druid compare with those other systems? Where do those systems fall over in certain ways that Druid may outperform them? Yeah, so I would say that the types of applications that Druid most commonly powers are ones where there's features beyond just like dashboarding. So the way that a lot of classic tools work is you create a dashboard and that dashboard has a bunch of different types of visualizations and then you can monitor and check the trends of those visualizations. So there's many, many tools that are able to offer this and I think there's a set of databases that can that can do this as well. The class of applications that Druid is particularly great at powering are ones where you need significant significant amount of drill down where you're actually not just looking at or monitoring why uh, you're not monitoring a particular trend but you're also trying to understand why it happens so if you see a spike you see anomaly and then you want to explain why that spike or anomaly occurs and then that process is one where you're heavily slicing and dicing data you're drilling into it you're looking at how different attributes are contributing to different trends within the data and that type of workflow is is what Druid is really designed for and where it starts outperforming a lot of its competition. And here we can get into Imply, which is a application that is built with Druid in mind. It's the, it's ser- it's the kind of thing that's serving, or it is the application, it's the operator level use case for a database like Druid. Now, in a world we think of the pre-Imply world as sort of the, maybe the Tableau or the Power BI, not that these, you know, not that these systems are, are completely outdated or anything like that, but when I think of these systems, I think of, of them as accessing maybe a SQL database or like a CSV file. It's less of other BI tools. It's like they're BI tools that are built agnostic of what the underlying data system is, whereas Imply, this this company that that you've built on top of the Druid open source database, is really built with Druid in mind. So what kinds of advantages do you get out of that fact when you can build a BI tool 
with, if you want to call it a BI tool or operational tool, with a specific database in mind, what kinds of things can you optimize? What kinds of new applications can you develop? Yeah. So Imply is an end-to-end solution built around Druid. Uh, the UI is, is really designed for Druid and some of the things that can do very well. I would say like one of the things that Druid does very well is it has a ranking engine in place, which is very good at telling you like what are the attributes that basically contribute to a particular trend, particular anomaly, particular pattern. And, you know, we don't think of, of the visualization tool uh, at Imply as anything really related to BI. It's, it's actually much more operational in nature. Uh, so many of the use cases that we see among our customers is the ability to uh, isolate a trend, isolate a pattern, isolate an anomaly, and then very quickly using some of the concepts that exist within Druid, find the root cause of, of that pattern, of that trend, and also have an engine in place that's just, you know, pretty honestly, one of the problems I think is talked about a lot is you know, one that we solve as well is just dealing with the increasing volume and complexity of data as well. So Druid is a system that, because of its various compressions and reductions, can is very efficient at storing high volume, complex data. And then the app that we build and apply is surfacing, you know, some of the core features in Druid to make it extremely, extremely fast to determine and to explain really why any pattern, anomaly, or trend exists within a data set. And that's really the, the core value that we provide to a lot of folks out there. There's a lot of different kinds of operational analytics that somebody might want to do, like looking at different types of fraud or looking at these, this type of clickstream analysis. So this seems like more for there is a human operation component to it. Like you're sitting in front of Druid, you're kind of like using Druid to look at and analyze data. And then from there, I guess you would do things like you would build machine learning models in other application platforms. Druid is really more for, for this, I think, this exploratory and this this human element. Yeah, exactly. Uh, it, it's designed to power applications, I should say, to be used by humans. It's designed for people to really take action faster. The top use cases, we generally work with, with different types of operational data, so click streams, APM type data, network flows, server metrics, kind of up and down the stack. Fraud analysis is obviously a, a pretty big use case, and, and many others that resemble that, where it's time to action is, is becomes very important. Understanding and being able to explore and understand why patterns occur are also very, very important. So it's designed really for that workflow. And that's Druid's kind of bread and butter. What's been the model, to get into kind of the business side of things, what's been the model for for figuring out what kinds of users you sell this to or, or figuring out who in an organization you sell it to? So I think the people that express a lot of love for our product are uh, our operators within an organization. So operators, whether they're within IT, sometimes they're within marketing, like in the advertising world. But they're people that need to take some sort of action really based on results and data. Some of these folks are technical. Some of these folks are not. So Druid was, you know, was initially built for online advertising and, and like ad tech use cases. And the operators at that time were people that needed to adjust like campaign performance. They needed to look at, you know, what are the factors that contribute to a particular level of user engagement, broken down by different types of users, and then start adjusting their marketing campaigns based on the results. And, and that's something that's it's, it's a, a process that needs to be done very quickly. But you can see that the parallel 
parallel there kind of within IT, so examples like network trafficking, network traffic data, what you might want to care about is identifying bottlenecks and then very quickly being able to determine that bottleneck and then rejiggering your network to kind of figure out that bottleneck. So yeah, it's, it's really operators that get the most value out of the product today. What's the onboarding process like? Does it require an engineer at one of these companies to help the operator set it up or does the operator take care of everything? So implied to kind of just Drew it aside, uh, Implied deploys in one of two modes. Uh, it can really deploy on-premise or it can deploy as part of a cloud offering. Cloud offering is, is pretty straightforward. Uh, all we really need is a source of data to get started with. That source can be something like Kafka. It can be a file system like HDFS, S3, uh, whatever it is. From that source of raw data, really, there's a lot of automation that, that gets built from transforming that raw data into a consumable visualization. And what's your work at the company focused on today? We've covered a lot of different areas from the high-level product that these operators are using to improvements in this this disassembled database. Druid, what are you focused on most and wh- where do you see the highest output from input that you can give? Yeah, uh, I'm focused on every aspect of, of the company. You know, Imply is still a relatively early stage company, so I'm, I'm focused in working with customers, making sure they're successful. I'm focused on defining the, the broader messaging strategy, a lot creating a lot of content, uh, so people understand what we do and understand kind of the value add that we provide, uh, creating use cases of, of our various customers and also people in the community. I'm still heavily involved with the community, uh, making sure that we we get together, we talk about the roadmap. You know, Druid is in incubation of the Apache Software Foundation, so working with the community on the roadmap, defining what that roadmap will look like and, and the various new problems that, that our people are trying to solve. So really, uh, it's kind of kind of cliche to say when you're a startup founder, you do everything, but <laughs> unfortunately right now, you, you have to do uh, everything just because there's just so much to do. And, and I work with my team on a lot of planning and, and strategizing as well. As we draw to a close, are there any open source projects or uh, developments in the distributed systems community that you're particularly excited about? So there's a lot of technologies I follow very closely. I think, you know, there is really this new modern analytics stack that's evolving. Kind of the three pieces of that stack I see are uh, a message bus, a stream processor, and also a serving and query layer. And what I believe is what this modern analytics stack will look like, it's something that's end-to-end streaming. Uh, It's something that can handle, you know, a stream of data, historical data, you can transform the data, you can uh, you can deliver it in, into many different systems, and you can also power different types of UIs with it. In that sense, I follow a lot of what the stream processes are up to. Uh, I think the Flink, uh, what Flink is doing is pretty cool. I think what Kafka Streams is doing is, is really exciting. Obviously, I follow the message buses as well, Apache Kafka, Kinesis, and, and the various other ones out there. And I do look at, you know, I think there's very popular systems that look like Druid. There are also types of operational analytic databases like P you know, and ClickHouse and, and others out there that are part of this like general trend of what should the query layer of the stack look like. Okay, well, Fanjin, I'll let you go. I know you got a lot to do. I, I want to thank you for coming back on the show. It's been really fun talking to you about all these different topics. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on the show. And, and once again, it was a really great time and just really excited to share all the developments that have happened on Druid in the last Okay. Wow.